invite uh, Beverly and Emily to come up. They're going to share with us a special song that. That's all right. We take good care of you. Oh, you're right. There we are. Go down, down, down. (laughs) Don't go too high unless you're just soaring with Jesus. Amen. Beholding fathers. I want to turn here, if you will, to Titus chapter 2. I know that's not the verse up there at the moment, but that will be our main verse for this, uh, this sermon. I also want to share with you, for those of you who feel during the worship time that the Lord might be calling you up. I know Don came up earlier. And just that you feel like you, there's some time that you want to spend at the altar with the Lord. That's always open. The altar is the most important part of these services, if you don't realize that. The time you get to spend with the Lord, and sometime of the time we get together while you spend with Jesus, is crucial and is necessary. And God does miracles when we just... Come to Him. I think this message will speak a lot to that. So let's get to sorry, Titus chapter 3. We'll look at verses 3 through 5. I'm going to give you the first part of this sermon is the mistake. The mistake. This is the mistake. We have been reducing men down to what they do. rather than who they are beholding. You were waiting for me to say, we're reducing men down to what they do than rather than who they are. And you hear that over and over again about who we are. And it's about our identity. And I can't tell you why, but I have had for a long season in my life struggled with that word identity. Not in the way the rest of the culture struggles with the word identity. Okay, Just so that you know that. I want to make sure that you walk away from this service feeling that sense of confidence. But what I mean by that is, is that replacing who I am at kind of the forefront of what matters. So who I am in Christ, who I am as a person, all those other things. But I think we're still missing the point. I don't think that that's not important, but I think that if we overemphasize that, we actually miss the point. And sometimes I don't know that we really find our identity, as it were. I don't think we need to. I think we just need to know who God is. And we need to be so firm and so well equipped with that, that nothing on the outside, not even a part of my character, my personality, is conflict with God. And in the long run, I think what we're waiting for is God to do His miracle on me rather than the real miracle is is that I get to see Him. I think the difference is is that as you behold Him, God doesn't always tell you what He's going to do, but He gives you the inner assurance and confidence that it's going to be solved and under and in His will and in His way. Sometimes we need to stop spending time just trying to pray into what God's will is And just sit there and just let the Lord reminisce in our spirit the power of His love and the fullness of just the fact that He's there in the moment. The moment you capture that God is there, don't you already have the assurance that it's done? Yes. Do we have any worry that the devil's going to get some kind of leverage system in on the will of God? That he's going to work it in somehow? maybe even some of those tragedies and things we've gone into, if we could just see the whole picture, 
And we don't need to because oftentimes when you get into the presence of God, you have this sense and assurance that delivered by the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about what you're going through in the moment. It's all going to come out in the end. Now enjoy me. Now worship me. Now love me, not for what's coming. Love me for what is. The answer is in Him. I want to read this verse to you. Titus chapter 3, well, verses 3 um, through 5. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, Just capture that word, that it appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. I was earlier this week, I was in prayer, and uh, I had taken a list of some of the names of you here in our church. And I just wanted to pray over the names. And I didn't get through all the names. I'm not very good at praying quickly for you. I hope that's a refreshing. But it also takes a while to get to you. (laughs) But as I was praying, I felt like the Lord had stopped me in. And it was almost like I sensed, I don't want you to pray anything. I want you to spend time with me. And I want to show you. So as I was praying for a particular couple... I felt like the Lord's love was just on my heart. And as I felt like I could sense His love, I didn't have words to say because ultimately it just felt like I was in an atmosphere where I could worship Him fully. And I was, I was engaging and embracing that, Lord, I really don't know what to say. In the light of the beauty of Your love and what I feel like the Holy Spirit is just revealing to my heart, I don't think I can say well enough. I don't think I can get deep enough. I don't think I can put into words what I feel like you're trying to say to me. And I think that's what God wants men to be doing. Because our lives, whether you like it or not, it seems like our culture, our Christianity, our churches, it's all about production. Let's just produce something. And it's gone so mad in our world that McDonald's has become such a It's not a popular thing necessarily these days, but the idea behind it is, and it's mass-produced something that's not healthy most of the time, doesn't really fulfill you, and doesn't last for very long, and that you can pay a small price for. And all of it seems to diminish value and the importance of things. And before long, we've filtered that into our Christian mentality of, we're going to birth vision in a day. I'm going to sell this vision to you of what God's going to be doing for Abundant Life Church right now. And, and what we're missing here is, is that when things don't feel like it's the vision's called, then we're missing what it's all about. And if every one of us today were just capturing God, you've captured the vision. Jesus said very plainly, He says, I am the way. I'm not just giving you a way. I am the way. I'm not giving you truth. I am the truth. I'm not giving you. I am for you. As you capture and as you learn me and as you spend time and you cultivate your unique but very special time spent with God and what that looks like, you'll begin to know me. And as men in our culture begin to push us. And ladies, I want to say, don't do this to the men as much as possible. Don't make their importance about what they get done. And and men, let's not do that for the ladies either. We spend too much time feeling like, and I know this very much so, there's too many things on the back burners that if you just just state the fact that I'm a limited man with an omnipotent God that's just not going to fix every, He's not going to put me to do unlimited amount of things, there's a good number of things that I'm going to look through the rest of my life and say, I couldn't get to it and I never was going to get to it. There's things I've, projects that I started to build up a long time ago that I finally sold some of them thinking, coming to the reality point, I'm not going to be doing that. It's not going to happen. 
And with that in mind, why should I feel and why should you that you're not accomplished enough, that you haven't done enough, that are the men of the world need to work harder and make more money and we need to pay off our houses sooner and our kids, our kids need college education and after college, what else do they need? And we begin to feel like there's this tremendous responsibility and that by the time you're done with it, if you think about it, all you have left is anxiety. Because you can't get to it all. And you're not going to. And God's not enabling you to do it all. He's just trying to get you to pick out those particulars that He's already sealed in His will for you to be a part of. But our culture is inundated with stress over things that God never intended for them. Nor is it within our nature to be able to touch or to put together. And I think this is the, the benefit we would have. And I think we're... We're beginning to get this right here in this church. The, the benefit of one another. Because the more we're involved with one another, it doesn't take long before you realize, brother, you just took burdens off my hands. Sisters, brothers, you came together. And see, I've cherished... No, I've cherished... Well, let me just say this. I've cherished so much what you've done for my family. How individually and in many ways that each of you have been there for us and giving gifts, um, sometimes just to my kids. And, and just as we said, our kids are more important than us a lot of times. We'll put ourselves out, but we'll try and make sure that they're taken care of and how you've been there to bless them and how they've been there for you too, right? But what blesses me even sometimes more than that is, is that just stand back and be a part of what we're doing together for somebody else. John and Sandy have been a huge part of that. Um, their anniversary is today, so if you get a chance and you're still thinking about them, um, let them know, get them a card, share that with them. But John has already shared with me, his, he's expressed how much it's meant to him that we've been there to just be on the property to help, to care for them. The washer, in, was it washer and dryer? Or, uh, at least I think it was a washer that was purchased for them. And at no cost to them. See, we, we could come to the place that we feel like, well, that's good, but that's not enough, Pastor. Why isn't it? Well, because people need so much more than that. I'm going to fault that on one thing, because I think the fault behind it is, is that we miss the fact that the fact that we can do anything out of a merciful act itself is an eternal gift. And if we don't catch that, we never take appreciation for the gifts God has given us and the kinds of things that the love of God has been demonstrated through us. And we minimize what's been done because of what needs to be done. And we fail to realize that every gift of love is ultimate and eternal gift of love. And so I would say this, that I think some of us just need to go back and revisit some of the works that you've done, some of the things you've done, and out of love that you've done it, and give God a new thanks and a new praise for the faithfulness of just having Jesus in our life. So here the Apostle is magnifying the regenerating power of God as it is His work in man. It's not what men are doing, it's what God is doing in those men. That's what's magnificent. That's what's mighty. Because no matter if there's a miracle or there's a manifestation of God at work in, in our churches or anything else around us, it's what's bigger than that. Because I can say this, if I see a miracle in your life, that means a lot to me. But there's an inward thing that God does that I can't put in words. And it's all the more. So based on the third verse of this um, chapter here, it says, based on this third verse, we know that when we teach men to behave without beholding or without receiving from God, we force them into a mold of hypocrisy that merely appears to be good outwardly. 
their religious life and God become their duty, and while their identity stems from their accomplishments. Can I say that one more time? Come on, give me an amen so I can... Okay, here we go. Their religious life and God become their duty, while their identity stems from their accomplishments. Maybe their jobs. Maybe what's happening at home. You know, just last night I was able to get my garage cleaned, and I think it's been two years. <laughs> but I still have work to do. If it's based on my accomplishments, I'm sorely lacking, folks. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not getting close. But that's why my identity should stem from my seeing Jesus. I just, I just got to see Jesus. The Lord spoke something to my heart. That's my identity. What I get to accomplish in this life is secondary and just icing on the cake. And the reason I want to say this also is because some with age and disability have minimized the importance of their life because of what they can't do. And they look at us, spry and young. I listen to my son share as he's getting out in the workforce and how much he's just got this energy that keeps lasting beyond, you know, the guys my age and older, right? And that's a gift for the moment. But what we have to realize is that the plane isn't on the basis of how much you can serve and do. The plane is on that I get to behold Jesus. And whether I can give little or I can give much, I am highly esteemed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. God bought me when I was an enemy. Jesus made the sacrifice when I was no good. So why does my goodness make the difference? It's His goodness that bought me. It's His goodness that says, you know what, despite the work you've done and accomplished, doesn't care if you've sown to a million fields, I'm not more impressed by how much you've done than how much little you can accomplish. I'm impressed because of my son. I'm impressed because of the blood. I'm impressed because it's his sovereign love that chose to love me no matter what. That's amazing. That's amazing. That love that dug down deep while I was yet a sinner and went down to the cross and came up in resurrection form, that's why God looks at you. That's why God sees us. But Lord, I missed it today. But I still have the cross. Unless you can take away the cross, unless you can remove the resurrection, God loves you for that reason. And that's a beautiful thing to share with men today. As we're wondering, where can we go? How can we? What can I do? And you know what? I think that's why Jesus had the parable and He shared of the here I'm, I'm hiring you for so much a day. And they spent all day working. And at the last hour, he brought a few more in and that they worked a short amount of time but got the same exact amount. And then he says, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And then it doesn't take long when you realize what the love of God is really all about. When it's easy to, to be there to help others or to receive from others. We don't have so much about how much I don't have anymore because of how much we have just in Him. Men think that as long as they perform well, that there is little to no value to spending time before God. As a matter of fact, it rather gets in the way of what really matters, production. Production. I'll tell you, when I stepped into this ministry, that was one of the hardest things for me. Is I'm like, I got time to pray. I have longer conversations with people. But it doesn't feel productive. It doesn't feel productive. Even if you get life out of it, it feels like I need to be doing more. Because you have to understand. 40 year, 20 years of my life has been spent physically working and producing something that you could look at 
And a lot of the ministry didn't, be, didn't look like something. Yeah. And so I was struggling to understand my value in the ministry because of that. But isn't that so many other men, if we were to take you from your jobs, if we were to take away finances and money and all of that, would you feel like you had a reason to live? And I'm not minimizing that God has an importance for us to work while we can, to work within our youth, but let it not define you. Do not let it define you. A typical Father's Day message is just oftentimes to get men back on track. I've heard guys say this. They're like, the ladies get the, the message this sweet for Mother's Day and the men get to told what they need to do or what they need to do better. Well, I'm not trying to tell you that today. Amen. <laughs> men get back on track to serving the God of accomplishments. How many of us thought that maybe the idolatry in our life wasn't that you weren't praying, it was that you were still trying to serve the end of accomplishing more. I'm not trying to minimize, nor do I want to tell the men today, hey, don't do any more work. Just retire early and do nothing. That's not the point here. The point is, is that sometimes barren in our hearts is something that there's this anguish of, Lord, what's, what's going on? There's an inside missing. Something's missing. Well, this is probably what it is. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 through 23, this is just kind of speaking to this thought. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name have cast out devils, and in your name done many wonderful works. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. It was as if it was thought in that day and an age, as if, I, if, if this kind of stuff would actually recommend me to God, if this, instead of union and near, dear relationship to Jesus and just worshiping God in spirit and in truth, if this could be in place of that. And, and this was Jesus saying, for those who get so deceived as to think that casting out devils or doing many wonderful works and even spiritual things is the height of what their Christian life is all about, or what it means to have me in their life, then hear it well today. Hear it well and don't get lost in it. Here are a few things that we might hear said to the fathers. And I think these would be encouraging things, but it still might be missing the mark. A father fights when everyone else gives up. A good dad puts others first, especially his own children. A great father does what it takes to provide for his family. A genuine father leads by example. And an out-of-this-world dad protects his home. See, this is what we would label, this is what's important men. If we're going to preach something out of the Word of God, we're going to find these elements to get into your life. And we're going to tell you how, in, in some of these parts, this is what makes a good father. This is what makes a man. But here's the problem. Some great fathers out there have struggled and lost their children to rebellion, but they've been faithful. So what's the reward of being a good father if I still can't have an accomplishment? If in the end of what I've done, I'm not seeing what I really was looking for, where do I go with that? And so when we say these things to men, and we keep pushing and keep pulling and making men all about accomplishments, and what they've done in life, and the kinds of efficiencies. And you know, I know, that there's some amazing guys out there like that. But I remember one time when I was on a, a it was a camp retreat for kids, for uh, Royal Rangers, and I was talking to one of the men, not from our church, and as I was listening to him talk about his skill on the job, and what he did, and the kinds of things he was doing, and I, I thought to myself, you are absolutely remarkable. The dangers that you put yourself in and just, just going through it and, and, it's like, and then the kind of business mindset. It's like you're, you're second to none in your field and it is obvious. Nobody's going to touch you in skill and ability. And he was losing his wife. He was losing his home. 
And partly because at some point in this argument, he said, his wife said, this was your plan, not mine. And I could see as he was talking to me, it's like all the hope had drained out of his soul. And I didn't hardly have words to speak to him because I began to get an understanding of, wow, from what men are really called to do these days, you just lost the boat. Unless, even when all of that disappears and fades away and it's gone, he still can behold Jesus. He still gets to see God and God's favor in his life. Even though in all of our work and aim to do good, even, even on, here's the thing, life, you can be a dead-on aim and still miss the mark, right? Because that's not the way it always works. So, with that said, what's the mark? We know the mistake, what's the mark? What are we aiming for? Let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 through 18. Thank you, Isaac, for sticking up with sticking it out with me here. <laughs> Have I got an amen out there? Yeah. Is these good solid truths for you? Praise you, Jesus. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. 2 Corinthians. Those of you who are taking notes. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Just where he's at is freedom. That's before the fireworks go off, before 4th of July gets here. It's already, there's freedom. But we all with unveiled face, capture this word, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Does it say might be transformed? Hopefully you'll be changed. It says it is already happening, being transformed into the same image. What's happening? I'm being changed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. I love reading about Abraham. And God says to Abraham, I will make of you. And He says it like three times. I will. I will, I will. This isn't Abraham doing it. It's I will. And I feel like that's the definition of man. Is a man who beholds. Men that spend time with God. Whatever God you want to do with this time. Whatever you want to show me in this time. If you want this time to be quiet and nothing happens per se, I just want to spend time with God. That's something to get your identity out of. And so it says, when you spend time beholding, when God reveals Himself to you, you see, as men, we just need to spend time and just wait for the Lord to just show what He wants to show. Ladies, you too. We just need time for God to show us something. We don't have time because we got so much going on, right? But when we get this all figured out, we realize there isn't so much going on that it's worth being robbed of what God wants to give me in that moment. And so sometimes we already set a timer for God to show up at that time. And if you'd just given one more second, you would have gotten it. But you just set your watch just a little bit too soon for the Lord to show up. And this is what we need in our day and an age is a body of people who said, you know what, the world's demand, the culture, American lifestyle, liberalism and conservatism, however it works, they're not going to stop me from getting what God has for me. The Apostle Paul was changed overnight. He was transformed 
and ready to pursue ministry in a moment because of one revelation. Isn't that awesome? One revelation of Jesus. You read of John on the Isle of Patmos, and this is a difficult circumstance, and one revelation, and we've got the book of Revelations for us. I can only imagine what that felt like, what that is. And see, God so much so elevated this in Paul's life that Paul said, there was, I was caught up in the third heaven, and he doesn't even speak of himself because there's this humble reflection that comes out of it. But caught up in the third heaven, and he said, it's not lawful to speak about what God has showed me. How would you, would you like to be there with me? How would you like Jesus to give you just an early entrance into heaven for a short amount of time? And just out of that alone, you know, we've got a sister here that talks, has shared a little bit about what it's like to be on that other side. And she said, you don't want to come back. And I know that that's true. There's something about that that I, I can't put a production rate on it, but there's a heart rate that happens with it. And it's beautiful. also want to read Exodus. Go to Exodus chapter 34. These will be our verses here as we come to a point of close. Exodus chapter 34. How many of you know that in the Old Testament, God showed Himself glorious? God was powerful in the Old Testament. There we go. So I want to, again, Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. We have it on the overhead there. I want you to find it because you're going to, you're going to want to highlight these verses. You're going to want to come back to them. Now it was so when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai, he got his glimpse of glory. And the two tables of testimony were in Moses' hand. When he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Wow. The people saw it. Moses didn't know. And, and the, see, here's, there's something I was just meditating on this and thinking about. When fathers and men gaze on God, they lose sight of themselves. They lose sight of themselves. I mean, in, you're, I'm going to tell you something. It's not just lose sight of yourself. As God puts His glory on your life, as God anoints you for His ministry, you don't spend time looking at that. You're not looking in the mirror to see the kind of spiritual muscle that just developed because of what Jesus did. You don't have time for that. You don't have time. You just want to spend time a little bit more with this God who has shown Himself that captivates you. So it all stems back into that. The key to holiness is beholding Jesus. I want to share this excerpt from um, A.W. Tozer. I guess I was uh, on an A.W. Tozer feast this week. I want to share with you something that he had written um, and it's this. When we lift our inward eyes to gaze, so he, he says instead of behold, he calls it gaze. Gaze upon God. We are sure to meet with friendly eyes gazing back at us. For it is written that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through all the earth. The sweet language of experience is, thou God seest me. When the eyes of the soul looking out meet the eyes of God looking in, heaven has begun right here on earth. Yeah. Couldn't have been said better right there. See, there's something lasting about when God just deposits himself into your spirit. See, your spirit is meant to be connected with God intimately always. And as you're intimately connected with God, that's eternal life. You already entered into eternal life. You got everything necessary. Now, everything that's on the outside is just working itself as a part of that eternal work that God's doing inside. But we just meet with God in that moment. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw... I'm sorry, um, we're going to verse 30, Exodus chapter 30. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid... To come near him. 
I don't know, have any of you ever felt like there's been an experience similar to that where you've been near to God and people have actually struggled to be around you? So what I see in that is that the second-hand glory can fascinate you or fright you. But only when it's first-hand does it transform you. So what I, I'm basically trying to help for us as men, and I think I need this as much as anybody, is we kind of get in the field of this is the works that God wants to do in your life, or this is what God wants to accomplish through you, and this is God in your life. And there's always seems to be something that keeps pulling us back over to the side and said, accomplishment, get it done, fix it, finish it, find a solution to it. That's the call to men constantly. And we're being pulled in that direction. And partly because we know there is eternal value in what God wants to accomplish through our life. And God isn't cutting that off and saying, I don't want it to happen. But what we get done, we get strung out on the call and demand that we forget that how it happens is when I spent time with Jesus. Because the way we love our wives at home and the way we work with our children, we're just docile in the presence of the Lord. God calms pride. God deals with inner things that would be explosive and ruining to our homes. And because we spent time with Him, our wives get to see our best and our children get the best and the people around us, because we've been illuminated and life-giving in God. It's just like it was caught. It wasn't taught. I caught something in the presence of the Lord. And it, it's emulating inside of me, and it's bringing peace. And it's actually making something new inside. And then I go face every day with this newness of Christ inside of me. And you worship Him while you're working. You worship Him wherever you go. And something steals away that worship and that song of glory and love for Jesus. And so like we're going about the daily tasks, but it's not the romance with the Lord anymore. It's not that love relationship, but it once was. It once was. You, it wasn't any task you could do without singing a praise song to God. And it wasn't that you were just singing praise songs. It was the buildup of your heart, just loving the Lord in the moment. See where and where I was. So, second, first-hand glory is what transforms us. That's why you know when we, when I give an open call, an altar call, and I invite you throughout your Monday and all the way back to Sunday again, just spend time with Jesus, just worship Him. In that, you'll find heaven opened up and God pouring Himself into you. And pastor doesn't even need to come to the pulpit because God's just doing something wonderful, right? So God meant for men that receive from His glory to come away humble, not flashy, not showy. God, Jesus said He would exalt the humble. We won't criticize others or boast of ourselves. I hear too many, and I've done it, so it's not like... But how many times we say, oh, and we're just going to throw that dark criticism over somebody. That brother or sister, they're not seeking God. No wonder they're going through the problem. They don't even read the Bible anymore. And that's that's that like one of the first we have that kind of criticism, or we gotta gloat about ourselves. <laughs> Something that's happening with me. And oftentimes both of those intermix. But I think when we capture God, because we can't see the skin shine on our face, there's nothing to glory about me. It is pure mercy that God finds James. And He reveals Himself to me. It's pure mercy that He chooses to do it again. Total mercy. Let's look at Exodus chapter 34, verses 33 through 34. Look at this. Say amen when you get there. Amen. You're like, it's, uh, I'm there. It's right there on the overhead. I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I'm just... I. 
Did you guys bring your highlighters to church this morning? Just wondering. So you could highlight a few of these verses? Amen. Might have to pass it around, you know. At least it's not the oil when the bridegroom comes. And when Jesus had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. I'm sorry. When Moses, did I say Jesus? When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. The real glory of God in fathers keeps us lowly to our family and the people around us. And before God, we are completely bare. God does not elevate our ego in the holy place. See, God is calling us to be humble in front of one another. To prefer one another. To put your needs above my own, oftentimes. But then when we come before the Lord, we're completely bare. There's no hidden thing. You might be talking to Him like that, but there's no hidden thing before God. And that's exactly how God wants us to come. Bearing our heart before Him, humble before men. That's a part of what it takes to receive glory from God. God will show Himself at oftentimes to a proud man and do so with such a magnitude that he can do no more than cling to the dust in humility after God has revealed Himself to him. When all is said and done, he would have nothing in his life but God, and that same love for God recommends him to receive again and again. That same love. See, God is in the circle. When you begin, and I just want to say, if you're, if you're thinking when you're getting ready to pray for somebody, and you're already finding the fault where the problem lies, just stop for a second and remember that Jesus is getting in their corner not because they asked Him to get in, the, in His corner. Not because they're asking God to do something in their life. In many ways, people are so proud and unwilling to have God because of whatever reason. And yet, you're now... That love, as God has revealed it to you and shed abroad it in your hearts, has taught you, don't pray as if God were only looking down on the humble and willing to show Himself to them. But that God is willing to touch the proud and humble them. <laughs> See, there's something about the presence of God that just brings you, not to the kind of humility as if you were, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, um, hurt or, gosh, what is that? You get stuck in those sermon points. Humiliated. Not that kind of, I've been humiliated, but the kind of, I welcome. I'm so grateful that I get to be in the presence of God. I do not deserve this. Moses had favor to revisit with God because he did seek, he didn't seek his favor from men. Just remember that. That's huge. We're going to be, we're going to be, people are going to favor you for being faithful. But that's not what you're seeking. You're seeking the favor that comes from God. A father may naturally love his children and excel in what he does, but nothing compares to the way he loves when he comes from the secret place. Nothing compares to the way you love when you've come out of the secret place. So the true making, or the making. So we had the mistake, we have the mark, now we have the making. What are we becoming as men? What is happening here? Let's read in Revelations chapter 1, verse 14 through 17. Revelation chapter 1, 14 through 17. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. 
And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. When you're in a moment of depression, this is exactly what you need. When you're feeling overwhelmed because there's more to get done and you can't get it done, when there is family stress in your life, this is what you need. There is amazing how God just relieves the burden without everything having to change on the outside. A man's truest accomplishment in life is what becomes of him through the revelation of Christ. Perhaps this is a reflection in his everyday affairs and spelled out in virtuous living. And yet the way you pick him out is how uniquely his heart is tied to God. How he's just tied to God. John was familiar with God, yet he fell as dead. That tells us that only God can make our every encounter with Him as if it were our first. God is fresh every time. It doesn't get old to spend time with the Lord. It doesn't get, it doesn't get to where, oh, the Lord's never going to give me something new. for It's like my first time spending time with Him Again, this last week. It's that refreshing and that hunger that keeps drawing you back to the presence of God. And I think that it's this. If we're just serious about the Lord in our life, we're not asking for more of Jesus to start with. We're asking for more hunger for Jesus to start with. Because some of us could be easily satisfied way too early on. And so I just get really hungry. And so this is, this is an important part of what God is doing in your life. And if you're just in this place right now, and you're saying, you know what? I just feel like I'm having issues. I'm stressed. Whatever you're having to say, and it's not going away. I'm praying, and it's not going away. And it's discouraging. And, and you're, you're probably wanting to say just like I would. I just don't know if I can keep doing this. But I think it's beautiful because in that, the Father is just as near to you when you're in that moment as when you're outside of that moment. And I want to say to those of us who are like, I'm living on cloud nine right now. I'm living so close to Jesus. I love being where I am with the Lord. And I want you just to keep it humble with God. And remember, it's His love for you that's making it the way it is for you right now. That's why it's happening for you. But does it mean that God loves one of us less than the other? Not in the least. As a matter of fact, this is the thing. When I, when I look through the Bible, and I see how God intimately draws His people to Himself, when you're struggling, that is your most intimate moment, whether you realize it or not. God is doing some inward things. If you're learning to live and trust in Him in the moment, God is doing things in that moment. Would you just stay the course? Don't be weary in well-doing for in due season. And is it the product in the end? Is it, is it a product or is it a relationship? Is it a product or is it a relationship? John Hyde, as I was on my fast, I was listening to an audio about John Hyde, Praying Hyde. If you haven't got any hands on Praying Hyde, find something on Praying Hyde. And that man caught the heart of prayer, and he would pray days, all day long, all night long. He'd fast and he'd pray often as God got and just ministered to his heart in prayer. But there was a unique part of this story that just I can't get over every time I think about it. John Hyde ended up, I think it was about 47 years of age, in his 40s, to see a doctor. And the doctor said, I have never seen a heart condition so bad. I know, you were waiting for me to say so good. 
so bad. And he, in, I don't know how, but he, the doctor looked at him and said, what have you done to yourself? Because they had taken the x-rays and found that his heart had moved from one side of his chest to the other side of his chest. You know, we may not hear the stories of John Hyde, but we're going to remember that one. And he said he smiled at the thought. And you know why? Because a defeated body doesn't take the place of a wholeness of spirit. They'd say oftentimes some of those early Methodist preachers, they would preach three times a day. And they would travel on horseback, on foot, through weather. And the average age of one of those preachers was 32 years old. Longevity, not necessarily what we're living for. I'm not going to tell you, just go out and ruin yourself. But I am saying that if what what is the effect is that you've lived so close to God that it's taken from you, you have lost nothing. You have lost nothing. I pray for our fathers today. To be freed from the vanity of trying to measure up to the great accomplishments of other men. But to be lifted high in the measurelessness of God. Though radically altered by Him, yet nothing but God has the gaze of their soul. The real goal is not what you have done or who you have become. The real goal is who you are beholding or not the poor rich in faith. The key is to stay near to God. It is not to get lost in what is He is doing. It is to remain caught up in Him. To remain caught up in Him. I uh, realized something when I was away in my week of prayer and retreat, I realized a couple things, and I want to share this um, because I feel like uh, it might encourage some of you as well. But while I was out there, I was um, I became quickly aware of how much I felt like something was lacking in my intimate life with Jesus. And I don't think it was just because I was uh, famished, for food, I think that probably had a little something to do with it. But I think that it, it, one of the things I couldn't help but realize, and this was part of my prayer time, is I did say, Lord, I've been on this before, but it's hard for me to see the value of praying when I feel so weak. And I can't remember what verse it was, but the Lord ministered to me out of one of the verses. And the Lord showed to me that part of what makes me love him so much, what makes me love him, is that he doesn't require of me to be strong in my finite humanity to find him. That he shows himself in my weakest moment to show me how much he loves me. That I don't have to create something for him, for him to take pleasure in me. And so it was like I felt the Holy Spirit showing me this weak time that you're going through is stripping you down. It's making it difficult for you. But I am actually working my way closer to you through this. Learn to love me in the middle of it. When it's like, Lord, I feel like I've intentionally made myself sick and I'm like waiting to feel like I'm going to recover, you know? And then when I became home from that, I remember within a day, I wanted to go back. I just wanted to be back. And I couldn't quite understand it, and I still don't. Other than I feel like it's like the Lord just was creating an atmosphere for me to behold Him in, just to see Him. And I want to encourage our fathers today and our men today and our ladies today. I want you to get close to the Lord. 
I want you to realize that Sunday is not your only altar time. And I think you do. But I want you to also, the other thing I realized where this time is, is that I almost couldn't make it work. And I look back on it and I say, there was no excuse not to. Now that I understand what it's all about in that way. And why I'm saying that is because I think most of us, what the real struggle is, is not your desire to seek God. Not that you don't want to be in the center of God's world. There's just too much going on. And when you get to the end of the week, you're saying a lot of what I have said oftentimes, and it's simply this. How did it go by so fast? Some of us have plotted and planned to set some more time away for the Lord. And even with all the plotting and planning and alarms going off and reminders and whatever, it still didn't happen. And I want to encourage you to not look at that as, oh, God understands. Yes, He sees. But I want to encourage you to press in and find that time with God. When it's done, whatever it is that you missed your appointment in, or I don't know, call in sick one day, I don't know what you got to do. But get away from the kids, get away from the husband, get away from the wife, and just spend some time alone with the Lord. Find, some, find a way to work it out and make it happen. See, because when I looked back on it, I was like, I almost narrowly missed this opportunity. And I set two days out of, I set it for the month of May, or two weeks, out of the month of May, and I set it in June. And I could tell the way May come around that I wasn't going to make it work. It just wasn't going to happen. And then June came around, and it almost didn't happen. And I'm going to say this, I think, with pretty good confidence. Most of the time, as much as it looks like it's not your fault, it's more than you realize. And when it's all said and done, most of us, we may say we're living for eternity and I'm ready to go and be with Jesus. But we keep sacrificing a whole lot of temporal for a whole lot of eternity. And I think that that's where the mistake is. And God's not just doing it to... the build you up. And I know He is, but He's doing it so that He can prepare you for others that are coming into your life. So let's find time with the Lord. Let's do whatever it takes to keep bringing that before God. And let's do it. And let God have His way in us. If you're looking for an opportunity to come to church, you're like, I just need a secluded place to pray. Come talk to me, please. I just need a time away. I'm always distracted. I go to my room and something, some voice pulls me away. It's not even a phone call or some thought just draws me and I got to go do some work and I got to do that just for a day. Just do it. And then see if after that day that you're not as much as I feel convinced that you're going to do it more. See, the convincing isn't in the I want to. The convincing is, is an I did. And now I know why I did. See, God has his part. You have yours. Let's do our part before the Lord. I want to end our time this morning with, um, I'm not going to have the worship team come up because I want to give them as much of an opportunity as for everybody else here. But Isaac's going to play the music in the background in a, in a minute. And that's just so that you have music that is conducive to worship. And I'm not asking you to repent of some sin or to get things right with God or to undo anything in your life. I'm just asking you if, you, if you feel with the end of this service, you feel that touch of the Lord on your heart, and even if you're not, I just want to give you an opportunity to spend some time before the Lord, either where you're at or right here at this altar, and spend some time with the Lord and cultivate what I would call just spending time before the Lord. And if that's normal for you, let's do it together and see what God does with us at the end of our service today. Can we do that?
So I'm going to pray, but I'm not, we're not going to have an official close like I do because I feel like God gets to close when he's done with you. <laughs> and I love how the Lord does that. But I want to give you an opportunity to spend time before the Lord. So I want to pray over that time and as you feel the Lord leads you. And then Isaac, after that, if you would, just go ahead and please play, play the music. Not too lightly in the background, but one to just keep us from other distractions. And then just move as the Lord leads you to do so. Father, thank you right now that we are in a moment where this very word that was said is not meant to just be had in an hour from now or from another uh, month or even a week. But to Jesus, this is the reality of the moment. And you said that without you, we could do nothing. I'm convinced on that verse alone that that's why in this moment we immediately need another touch, another fresh beholding, another gaze of glory just to see your face, God, and um, lift every burden. Release us, God, from anything that's establishing a stronghold in our minds and thoughts. And today, Father, let us have the peace of your presence. The peace of your presence. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And God, how explosive and powerful is that? And there is nothing that the devil can do to take that or rob that from the children of God. So today, Lord, as we just give some more time, and you know each heart, and, and every heart wants to, and some can give little and some can give more. But Lord, as they do, Jesus, would you just pour into them a blessing? Lord, would you just let yourself be more known to our hearts? We have not come to a climax to the revelation of Jesus in our life. And I want more, Lord. I want more of you. Redefine everything just by letting us gaze into your eyes today, Lord. Redefine everything in our minds, in our world, our worldview, by letting us just see you, Lord. There's a wealth of knowledge in the presence of Jesus. We give you praise. Isaac, if you'll go ahead and do that, welcome you to come front.